Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Ideas Factory. I'm Nakma. Joining me on this episode of The Ideas Factory is Professor Harsh Pant. Uh, we are witnessing a new Cold War around the world and this is the tech cold war we've been talking of china tech and us tech but now it looks like this division is getting more and more intensified and countries are bound to choose between the us tech and china tech and we've seen that this trade war is resulting has resulted in the closing down of consulates uh, the chinese consulate in houston was closed down and as a result there was reaction in china and in chengdu the us consulate also closed down and the concerns uh, in america was that of spying so this has been a primary concern against the huawei and 5g technology that china is trying to roll out world over along with that the american elections have are revolving around china china seems to be a big talking point there so whatever the outcome of the american elections will be will it change us's policies towards china will it alter the course of the trade war too along with this we will also look at the the relations between india and the us are we getting closer we have done joint naval exercises uh, how is uh, you, in us really looking at india vis-a-vis china uh, all of that in this episode of the ideas factory harsh welcome to you and i would like to start by what happened in the us and as a result in china in houston the chinese consulate closed down there were charges there were concerns of spying and the chinese have always denied it but as a result what we saw in chengdu the uh, us consulate was also closed down now this this trade war the so called trade war is probably tipping over to a new cold war how, how do you look at this uh, europe is also in a way forced to uh, take sides because america has been asking its allies to to prevent Huawei technology in their countries. I think something very fundamental is happening in the American uh, body politic, in the American, uh, you know, intellectual space, in the American policy making space, and how they think about China. And I think even more important than the closing down of Houston Embassy for me was a very major speech this week that Mike Pompeo gave uh, at the at the Nixon Library. but basically he was speaking in such sweeping terms about this relationship that was so reminiscent of the cold war uh, you know uh, parallels that could that can be drawn now from uh, from the past and it it sort of uh, you know the way he framed it that uh, the people of china and the world community should be forcing the communist party of china to change track uh, otherwise we are in for trouble uh the chinese communist party has decided to take the world in a certain direction which is against the freedom and liberty that uh, a large part of the world believes in and therefore they need to be stopped uh, he talked of alliance for democracies he talked of like minded countries and i think it was a very very sweeping uh you know enunciation of what has happened in america over the last few months we have been used to looking at it primarily you know we assumed when it began that it is a narrow issue of trade and then technology then uh, you know uh, p- perhaps uh, you know the the uh, mr trump's own 
domestic vulnerabilities, but there is something more fundamental going on. And, and if you look at the, the Joe Biden's platform, uh, that is also not very, yeah, you know, it, it might be uh, some shifts here and there that you can witness, but largely the rhetoric is very, very sharp from, from, from both the camps. So what I think has happened is, is a certain consensus has emerged in America that they need to change, uh, that, that America needs to evolve in a certain direction. Its policy needs to evolve in a certain direction vis-a-vis -vis China. And that while, of course, elect electioneering is, is playing its part, Mr. Trump's, uh, you know, the, the, the need for Mr. Trump to stand up as a strong man against uh, a, a rising China is something that will go down well with his voters. But my sense is that there is going to be some lasting legacy, whether or not Mr. Trump remains in office or not. And I think that will have consequences, as you pointed out, for other nations, for American allies, for American partners. But I think what we are now witnessing is a fundamental reevaluation of American policy towards China. And of course, China is also cognizant of this fact. And therefore, there, is, there, are, there are tit for tat reactions that have now become common. You have Houston closing, uh, embassy of, uh, in Houston being closed and Chengdu being closed in, in of American embassy in Chengdu is being closed. So clearly, uh, the both sides are, uh, you know, taking it in their stride. Both sides are ramping up the rhetoric as well as uh, their policy options. And I think the critical issue in this, in this episode of Houston embassy is the fact that there is, you know, the, the whatever information we have got suggests that espionage was a very important part of, of yeah. you know, what, and the, the, the idea that a lot of espionage was happening, industrial espionage, technical espionage was happening from, uh, from Houston Embassy, tells you how drastically this relationship has changed. Uh, and it, you know, and, and one, when was, one was listening to Mr. Pompeo, you could not have, uh, you, know, one, you know, one could look at the irony that it was at the Nixon library uh, that he was saying these things. Uh, it was President Nixon who opened China to, the, uh, to Americans and to the wider world. Uh, and now we are almost revaluating, uh, you know, the whole edifice uh, that, that he created, uh, he and Henry Kissinger created. And now perhaps the Americans are recognizing some of the constraints and some of the costs uh, that they, their system has to has to bear because of that. But I think largely uh, this is going to be a long drawn affair. It will, my sense is, it will last beyond elections. Whoever comes to office in uh, in January 2021 uh, will have to take this relationship, uh, which would have would have been fundamentally altered by Mr. Trump's first administration, uh, Mr. Trump's administration, which may be the first one, uh, depending on the outcome of the elections. All right. But like you said, this uh, trade war uh, precedes uh, Mr. Trump and probably there is some kind of uh, unanimity of as, as far as uh, America's policy towards China is concerned now, especially after the coronavirus pandemic and, uh, and as far as the Huawei is concerned, because like you said, the charges over espionage with the Chinese have denied. But then we can see uh, one of the effects in the way uh, the uh, the decisions were taken by the Trump administration that the American technologies will not be using the the five G equipment uh, by Huawei. Yes, that's, uh, you know the, the the technology issue is so important because on the uh, you know the basis of this the the the, the technological revolution that is happening, uh, the countries are laying the foundations for the next stage of their economic development, and so it is yeah. not merely about five G. It is about the larger. Uh, foundations of your future economic prosperity and therefore for countries whether it is uh, you know uh, america where there have been always been concerns about uh, huawei and about uh, the you know chinese companies in 5g uh, 
you know, that issue has always lingered. Or whether it is United Kingdom that first decided to go with Huawei and then change its mind uh, in, in, you know, in, in a few weeks uh, before. Uh, there has been a clear shift and change in trajectory. Even those countries who are more sympathetic, like France, for example, they have yes. they have not yet completely denied uh, Chinese entry uh, in, in, into their 5G networks. But they are reevaluating it. They are they are putting down specific guidelines as to how how will they go about doing that. Yeah. Similarly, you see uh, you see in India. Of course, India is a very different context. Uh, in the in the you know in you know the, the, what what we are facing with the Chinese on the border, but clearly the debate has been even before this border crisis. The debate was very very sharp in India whether Chinese should be allowed in in certain strategic technologies. And one of the things that this government and Prime Minister Modi said, uh, especially after Corona crisis, uh, the idea that self reliance is important, that reliance on over dependence on China is not a very good idea, is something that. Uh, I think countries are now really operationalizing in their day-to-day -day policies. And that is, uh, I think, going to be a big factor in, in most countries evaluating their options. Most countries looking at Huawei, looking at ZTE, looking at you know, the, their future configuration of 5G networks and assessing how and how far can they actually go uh, in, in engaging China, in engaging uh, Chinese uh, companies and, in, and yes. in using China for their benefit. And I think America has just started that debate, but America has taken it to, to a very sharp level because of the kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, for them, uh, the, the real possibility here is that China can really dethrone them from the primacy in the international system. Absolutely. So we've seen that Britain has announced ban on equipment for Huawei, for the country's high-speed wireless network. We've seen that Germany is in a dilemma what to do because uh, there is China and it's a big trading partner for Germany, China. And similarly with European Union too, they're big trading partners. Italy like uh, has got new security protocols for Huawei as well as ETE. Uh, but now let's look at the, like the India and the US relationship. The U.S. administration has always seen India as a geopolitical counterbalance to China. And we've heard, we've had statements from uh, Secretary Pompeo too, saying that China uh, took incredibly aggressive actions, uh, whereas India really has done their best to respond to them uh, in, the, in the ways that India responded. And there also seems to be a consensus amongst the members from across the parties, among the members of the Congress from across the parties, uh, about Chinese assertiveness in, as far as India is concerned, uh, in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, as, uh, in Australia. So there seems to be a consensus there. And we see uh, uh, favorable statements coming out from the United States for India. Yes, I think we have seen uh, incredible degree of convergence on this issue. Uh, and I think uh, the fact that India's crisis with China is not a standalone crisis, it is a crisis that is happening when China is really, really troubling most of its neighbors. Uh, and there, is, there are you know, multiple crises brewing on Chinese uh, you know, frontiers. So clearly that has helped India's cause because that has given the world uh, something which perhaps in the context of Sino-Indian relations, the world had not seen before. You know, when India used to say in the past, it used to be seen, oh, well, you know, you look at you, you look at China, China has resolved most of its border problem, but India has, so it's, it, it, it was as if India was the culprit. Now, suddenly, when you're looking at Indian problem in the context of what China is doing everywhere else, you get a different picture, you get a different set of assessment. And in particular for America, I think that the fact that they are looking at a long-term drawn out struggle with China, which means that what they were, you know, what previous administrations had talked about 
India's centrality to their Indo-Pacific strategy, India's centrality to how America shapes up its relationships in uh, the wider Indo-Pacific, that has become more real. That has become, uh, you know, that is something that they now have to do in real time. And so the urgency to that has become very, uh, very significant. And so Mr. Pompeo has been, you know, has made some remarkable statements in this regard, as you were pointing out, both from highlighting, uh, almost saying that how China is at fault, taking a position very, very categorically, uh, to uh, arguing that uh, India needs to be incorporated in the American, uh, you know, engagement in the region so that a broader, more cohesive, a more forceful, robust, uh, uh, you know, posturing can be done vis-a-vis -vis China. And as you were pointing out, other countries have supported it. So whether it is Japan, whether it is Australia, Vietnam, even Philippines, for example, you have a you have an array of countries that have now looked at China. They have, they have tried to deal with China differently. It has not worked out. So have taken a step back and are reevaluating. So India, therefore, figures very, very importantly, very, very, uh, you know, interestingly, because I think sometimes, uh, you know, India's positions have been very strong vis-a-vis -vis China over the last five to six years, even at the risk of being isolated. So whether you look at BRI, whether you look at Doklam, at, the, at times it looked as if India was the only country standing up to China. And now suddenly you have the realization that for other countries also enough is enough and they need to look at India's positioning and they need to learn from it. So I think that it, has, it has been both ways. India yes. has to involve these countries, but these countries have also recognized that without India, the balancing against China may not work at all. Yeah, so there is an increasing pushback that we see now from many countries against China. And uh, we've just conducted, the India and US has just conducted a joint naval exercise in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Andaman and Nicobar, but we also saw simultaneous exercise in the uh, Philippine Sea between Australia, Japan, and uh, US. Uh, uh, when we look at this joint exercise between India and the US, uh, you know, the US, has, uh, the US nuclear-powered warship uh, Nimitz uh, what does it signify as far as India's international cloud is concerned? Because there was a time in 2007 when the, when the Nimitz docked around Chennai, then there were protests from the environmental groups, of course, but also political groups. Uh, but now you see that we successfully conducted an exercise and it also shows a different political uh, environment here. So what does it tell us about the domestic political outlook and India's international cloud? Well, I think on both fronts, globally as well as domestically, there has been a remarkable transformation as far as China is concerned. And I think one can thank Mr. Xi Jinping for, for allowing that possibility to happen. Uh, you know, there were many groups in the past in India uh, that have taken the position that engagement with China is important, uh, that we need to continue engaging with China. We need, to, we need not antagonize China by explicitly joining hands with countries that China doesn't like, America is at the top of that list and many, many, many groups, many individuals, many political parties at that point of view. Now, imagine a situation today. Who can make that argument today? I mean, I can be very open. Even the communist parties would not make that, would not be able to make that point publicly. So clearly in India, the political discourse, the political complexion of this issue has been changed. And that has been changed, not because India did something, but because the Chinese are hellbent on making themselves a pariah in, in the Indian political landscape. So what we are witnessing is something uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, again, uh, if, if Chinese are so smart, uh, are they hurting themselves in the Indian context where they're losing uh, even the limited friends that they had? So what is the point of, uh, you know, of this exercise or what is the point of uh, engaging with India, with India at all as far as Beijing is concerned? Because their engagement has been so negative. Now, the larger, uh, so therefore, when now today, when you have 
you know india conducts most number of exercises military exercises with the, with the us and there is an acceptance yeah. of that reality that we have to do it internal capacity building has to be done uh, otherwise uh, you know how will you manage the you know the the behemoth that is standing uh, on the uh, you know at the northern frontier or, and or and internationally of course the mm-hmm. environment has changed uh, the context has changed countries uh, that were so reluctant to engage with perhaps were reluctant to engage with india and those countries with whom india was reluctant to engage yeah. suddenly have found favors with each other so the idea of quad for example it was revived 20 2007 to 2017 a remarkable mm-hmm. trajectory 2007 it was discarded mm-hmm. because uh, australians feared india feared that why antagonize china but it did not yield them any dividends so mm-hmm. by 2017 it was it was taken as uh, you know as a as a concrete step and now that we are talking of uh, inviting australia into the malabar exercises it mm-hmm. means that india is shedding that reticence uh, and in in making sure in making it very explicit that we will have partners we will develop defense partnerships and we will take it to a level where they are so, credible so interoperability yeah. for example yeah. you know in in working in real time learning with each other learning from each other's structures and processes is something that is very very vital if you are to frame a response to china's aggression and i think that's what these military exercises so uh, convey was, yes absolutely harsh like you said so this was supposed to be a message for china and it uh, it did convey that message right because uh, the naval exercises the joint naval exercises between us and india as well as the exercises in the philippine sea between us japan and australia and as a result you see all the members of the quad here active so these exercises were meant to convey that message to china and uh, uh, hopefully they were successful i think so i think see i mean the the idea of countries uh, you know coming together uh, has always uh, bothered china so uh, again you 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 may go back to 2007 the kind of uh, un cry chinese raised uh, that you know that Uh, countries are ganging up to contain china and that the the, the logic of indo pacific the logic of quad both are designed to contain china and that containment of china is is something that uh, that is unnecessary etc etc i mean they they really get worked up when they see uh, countries uh, working together in unison but what is the best possible strategy not to uh, you know not to have make that happen yeah. the strategy yeah. should have been to engage more positively with these countries but rather than doing positive engagement china's engagement went on a com- in a completely different direction so clearly a lot of the blame if today china looks at the it, at its environment and if it looks at the, these countries that are engaging at once once that were reluctant now are more uh, are shedding that reticence i think beijing should recognize that a lot of the fault lies with the way mr xi jinping with the way beijing has handled these uh, these issues and not with the way these countries are reacting because they have they are being forced they gave china a chance and that that china did not take up that chance the communist party decided not to take up that that option they decided to go for confrontation and so they are getting it in return yeah confrontation and probably china china realized that its time under the sun has arrived and this is the moment to seize now as far as india china relations are concerned and our perceptions of the lac there seems to be still a lot of difference between india and china uh in how, how we look at the lse so while the talks are on we probably are not going anywhere because there is a wide gap uh in our perception of the lse in india has asked china to deliver sincerely on the commitments which were reached at the military level talks india has asked china to sincerely implement these understandings reached at the military level talks so clearly there is still a wide gap absolutely it looks like i think uh, especially on the uh, you know gogra and uh, uh, um, pangong so 
uh, the the the, uh, the questions remain where they were the issues remain where they were for example uh, last month there has been no significant movement uh, there has been no uh, attempt to disengage uh, from where the chinese were uh, the uh, so so clearly what we have what we are looking at is a process that is going to be very very long drawn out uh, and uh, the the basic problem here is uh, how do you trust the chinese so i think that element that now that india is insisting on verification that india is insisting that we will we won't be moving our troops back unless we have verifiable uh, re reports that chinese are also doing similar thing i think tells you a story about this relationship and that it is very very fragile and that chinese have really done great disservice uh, by uh, sort you know by just destroying the fabric of this relationship now it may be that chinese don't want to have uh, a, a working relationship with indians and 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 i think that is a possibility that we will now have to accept and we should be willing to live with it because uh, otherwise there is no rational explanation for why china would engage in something like this uh, and therefore for india there is no other option but to dig in its heels but to make sure that the indian military uh, reinforcement remains there but to make sure that that and continue to make this case to the chinese as as you were mentioning in the statement which me has re released that we want uh, verified commitment we want verified uh, movement from the chinese side status quo ante should be restored if that does not happen then the relationship really really is in big trouble and that's a message that india need, needs to send out it is sending out and but but i see but the, but the issue here is that i don't see chinese uh, very willing to accommodate indian interests and so the challenge for india would be that we are looking at a long term future with china as an adversary that is hell bent on destroying indian stakes and indian interests not only along the boundary but around the world and so we have to be prepared for that absolutely that's a very important point that you're making there that probably there is a the chinese do not seem to be willing to accommodate it yeah and so we are looking at a long term adversary and there is a growing disdain too thank you so much uh, harsh for this discussion on this episode of the ideas factory thank you for tuning in to policy pod the orf podcast please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes